1: Good morning, everyone. You are listening to the Master Gardener Hour, a one-hour show when we talk to garden professionals and gardeners, all growing a variety of different plants and interests. My name is Kate Copsy, and I am the host of the show. If you have any questions about something in your garden... Please post it on our Facebook page and maybe we can answer the question on the air. This morning we are going to be talking to Terry Spike about Zeri gardening. Good morning Terry, how are we doing?
0: We're
1: doing just great, Kate, and you? Oh, I'm doing fine, just at the beginning of spring. So, yes. ho- hopefully, the weather will be great. Um, and uh, so, let's start um, with a few definitions. Um, what exactly is xeric gardening and xeriscaping in general? I assume they're the same type of thing, right?
0: They are the same type of things, and basically the Xeric mindset came out of Denver. The The whole mindset or the whole theory behind it is planting of drought-tolerant plants, plants that, are, that require lean soil, well-drained soil, and most importantly, minimal water. Um, once they're established, they should be able to thrive pretty much on their own with the rain that comes to the earth naturally.
1: Well, that sounds like a perfect plant, (laughs) Um, yes. Um, And I know that you're in the Maryland area, which isn't known for major droughts and things, although I know almost all areas do have summer droughts and things. Um, So how did you become interested in Zarek gardening?
0: Well, um, I am a native Washingtonian, and I used to be a gardener for the city of Fredericksburg, and we had a part-time crew, but we had to maintain plantings throughout the city. In doing so, we also had to make sure that the plants would thrive if we couldn't water them, and that's when I started researching xeric landscapes and found planting material that would be beautiful and thrive on minimal watering and minimal maintenance um, during the rest of the season. And it, it became a really great topic for me, so I try to share that concept with as many people because we're all busy today. So Zurich Landscaping could come into play with many of our landscapes. Even in Maryland, we're not known for drought, but a couple of years ago, we had quite a few water restrictions. And you could tell the people that planted plant material that would, that was able to withstand minimal watering. And, and
1: so I would imagine that um, in a Zurich landscape um, you don't have containers and things like that that do take a lot of water in the summer.
0: Exactly. Now there are some plants that um, you could have a nice uh, pot of, of uh, sedum that would not require a lot of water and it would if you vary the different cultivars it will be beautiful and it will thrive. I wouldn't put let's say, impatience in the container because you know you're going to be watering them if not every day, every other day that's a lot of work
1: yes, yeah, and I, I would imagine if you had a whole landscape of things like petunias you'd have to be doing it a couple of times a day sometimes exactly. in the very, yes yeah. so, so it's also kind of then um, easier to maintain when you have this kind of landscape then
0: It's very easy to maintain. Um, When you think about it, if you're using plant material that you have to babysit, as I say, that you have to, you're required every other day to get out there and water it, it's more work on you, You're, you're increasing runoff into the surrounding waterways. And instead, you could be enjoying your landscape with minimal watering pretty much by planting the right plant in the right place and knowing the conditions that it will thrive under.
1: And and I know when I think of plants that survive severe winters and droughts and the whole kit and caboodle of a local landscape, I tend to think of native plants. Um, so is there really a difference between native plants and Xeric adaptable plants?
0: Well, believe it or not, there, there's a difference, and there are similarities. Native plants basically are plants that are pretty much known for growing in a specific area, in in our region in North America, um, and they they give back to nature whether it's you know by seed or reseeding itself, providing food and habitat for insects, birds, and animals. Um, but native does not necessarily mean the xeric, because we have some natives that need a moist environment, like uh, eupatorium, Joe They don't mind it dry, but they really thrive along the roadsides in those moist areas. A xeric plant, generally it will rot if it's too damp. So there is a difference, and knowing what your natives are for your zone is very important when you're selecting them for your landscape.
1: And and obviously, if you live in Arizona or California, you need to be aware of water issues because they have major droughts. Um, And so how would your um, landscape design reflect maybe those long-term droughts rather than a six-week summer droughts, which those of us on the East Coast tend to sort of moan about. But the long-term ones are obviously very different. But what type of Um, how would those two different landscapes maybe be different, um, the the far west versus the east coast?
0: Well, in the the far west, um, you you will not see a lot of color. You will see mostly things that are succulents. So there might be leaf variation. There might let's say, cactus or cacti. You'll see different variations of cacti yucca you might see something like that. You more than likely would not see a lot of mulch because mulch in the Midwest is a fire hazard. So you would see them mulching with stone as opposed to wood. On the East Coast, quite the opposite. In a dry landscape, you might see plant material that has a very deep taproot. You might see plants that don't, want a lot of water, like artemisia, yarrow, coreopsis, those things, given too much water, they will rot. And they like a little bit of mulch, not a lot. So depending on your zone, depending on your climate, each plant must be planted in the right place in order for it to thrive.
1: And I know when I went down to Tucson uh, many years ago, I noticed that a lot of the landscapes down there did have stone, as you mentioned, um, but the... East Coast and, and in fact the Midwest. I guess Americans love their lawns, um, and the lush green lawns and that whole kind of thing. Um, and so many steric landscapes take out the lawn and substitute may, maybe gravel and things. So, how do you get that idea across? to suburban America where, you know, the lawn is kind kind of the king of the the, um, landscape.
0: Well, fortunately, there is an increased awareness to runoff of fertilizers into our waterways. So a lot of landscapes now, they are taking away a lot of the lawn because people are realizing maintaining a lawn can be expensive. Weeds are going to blow in, so there's almost no perfect lawn, um, and you've got to water it. Whereas with a xeric landscape, you can have a touch of lawn that will accent what you've placed in the xeric garden. It'll make what's in the xeric garden pop. And homeowners now, because everyone is so busy, it's really easy to me to convince people, less lawn, more garden, more time to spend with family and doing other things that are fun. So it's not as much of a hard sell as it used to be.
1: But but I guess, um, you know, when you've got kids, you know, they, they want kind of the, the gym set and things in the back garden and somewhere maybe to... Um play soccer or or kick balls around and things like that. Is this something maybe that um, people are more interested in as the kids grow older rather than for younger kids?
0: Um, You could say that, but also those the younger kids, the families that have the younger children, they're using more of your native grasses like your fescues. And they know that about August, at least in the uh, Maryland area, about August, It's not going to be too pretty. So, once again, you've got these homeowners, they've got children, they're entertaining, the kids want to play. They're taking them to the playgrounds or the parks because when it comes to the home front, they don't want to be out there doing all that maintenance. So, once again, at least in the Maryland area, it's more of an easier sell than it used to be.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I, I know that, um, you know, when, when you, you have kids, you know, I mean, they, they love running around on a lawn. But I've noticed that a lot of people, you know, they may be going back maybe to more natural Lawns, um, not quite so fussy. Um, I mean, right. I, I'm, I'm the sort of person that the lawn is is nice to walk on on the way to the flower bed. But I was watering a flower <laughs> bed, not the lawn, <laughs> and lawns <laughs> actually do survive. <laughs> right,
0: right. And and when you think about it, and you're right, they're going back to the natural lawns, so people are not as concerned about having the clover and the dandelions in their yards, and this year particularly because dandelion, believe it or not, it's a pollinator plant. And when you're trying to teach kids about going back to nature and everything not being so perfect, what a great way to introduce children into all the beneficial insects that can be found in a natural lawn. But but there's a lot of subdivisions
1: that would think, I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever lived in these places, but a lot of them, it's, you know, if you haven't got the perfect lawn, you're letting the neighborhood down. So how do you get past um, that um, mentality that we've all got to have the same thing?
0: Well, you, you've got to educate. Education on natives, natural, xeriscaping, going back to nature, um, having these wonderful ecological byways that bring pollinators in. It's really a matter of educating the consumer. So Instead of having bundles and bundles of fertilizer on the shelf in your big box stores, they're now going into seed mixes, um, perennial blends, um, things that are going to bring nature into your yard. Uh, and Doug Tallamy has a wonderful book on bringing nature back. And it speaks to not having that perfect cookie cutter yard. If you're, one of the statements he made is, if you're not having a wedding, why do you need all this lawn? have wonderful flower beds that maintain themselves that self-seed that provide habitats, once again, for our beneficial insects and birds. So so it's all almost a like, um,
1: prairie-type idea. But, uh, but, you know, we have to go for our first commercial break here, but we will be back with more about Xeric Gardening with Terry Spike on the Master Gardener Hour, and we will be back in just a moment.
2: Today's consumers find themselves faced with a greater variety of choices than ever before, both in the food they eat and the information they receive about that food. Feedstuffs Foodlink was created to provide you with a balanced source of information for making decisions about your family's balanced diet. Visit FeedstuffsFoodLink.com to learn about your food directly from the source, the people who work every day to provide it. FeedstuffsFoodLink.com, connecting farm to fork.
0: This is America's com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome
1: back to the Master Gardener Hour. Remember, you can catch up with us on Facebook at the Master Gardener Hour. And if you miss any shows, you can find archives at americaswebradio.com webpage. You can find them on iTunes and you can find them on Stitches too. This morning, we are talking xeric landscaping with Terry Spike, and we talked a little about um the idea of xeric landscaping in, in the first segment. so let's talk about some of the actual plants um in the gardens um and I'm assuming that there are more options than just cactus to put in there, right. <laughs>
0: The options are endless. Um, I personally use a lot of echinacea. I use a lot of bulbs, your bulbs, uh, lilies. They love it dry. Um, I use a lot of daylilies, and I actually cut my daylilies back after first bloom, and a lot of times I'll get a second touch of, of bloom. And I'll have to be honest with you, Kate. I don't water my garden. I have artemisia. I have helianthus. Panties, yellow, agastache. There are so many options that are colorful that will take you straight through all three seasons. And in the winter time, my garden is beautifully mulched. And in the in the spring, that's when the show begins.
1: And I, I know when when I used to grow a lot of, of herbs, things like lavender, always were very drought resistant um, but yes. I, I used to use lemon balm as kind of what I would call the indicator plant when a lemon balm decided to droop it basically meant everything needed watering and that would happen maybe twice a year um, uh-huh. but, you, but you're saying you're, you're, you do even less than that
0: oh, I, I do less I, I am um, in all sincerity I have not unrolled my hose in two years Oh, wow. And my garden thrives on the rain from the heavens, really. <laughs> yeah,
1: and actually, though, I think short of new things that went in, I don't think I did it, because this is quite a new garden. I, it's possible that I only did that once, apart from when things first went in. Um, and, and you have to give them a break when they first go in.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have to be gentle, because they're children but, <laughs> when they first go in. But once once it's established. Um, then it's pretty much a matter of self-sowing. The seeds will drop, they'll multiply. And some years my garden is more Ignatia. Mm -hmm. And some years it's an Ignatia and Rudbeckia mix. And other years it might be just Rudbeckia. It, It changes every season because I very much have a native garden. It's does what it wants to do. And, I, and by planting closely, I crowd out weeds. And, and so are there any
1: annuals that, um, that you use? Because, I mean, to me, they are the last thing that most people use. As you said, petunias need watering and watering and deadheading and watering. Um, but, but are there some annuals that can survive in that type of landscape?
0: Um, annuals, I use lantana. Uh, As one of my go-tos for uh, annual color, it comes in so many colors now. Uh, It is drought-tolerant once, you know, you establish your watering it. I try to water the first 30 days, and then it's on its own. Too much water, it will not flower for you. Mm -hmm. Um, In some areas, depending where you are, catnip, in some areas, is an annual. But that's another one. You put it in, it goes and goes, sheared back midsummer. I have gotten three blooms out of Catmint, depending on where you live, annual or perennial. Portulaca is a great annual for color, Galardia, color, and you don't have to overwater these things.
1: Oh, I, I love Galardia. I mean, that's kind of one, one, one of my, um, you know, once one, so when we were down in Atlanta, I, I stuck that right at the bottom of the driveway. Um, and I thought, you know, if, called drought resistant so I'm going to stick you there I watered it I watered it about six weeks later and it, it mm-hmm. kind of it, it struggled a little but the next year it was just beautiful just yeah. I, I mean it, it's, it's what I would call one of those really dependent drought tolerant ones but is there a difference between what I think of as being drought tolerant and the Xeric ones
0: and, and that's the beauty of Um, What I call zone pushing It's something that's an annual In one area Um, Like everyone knows That impatiens are an annual But I have people that have these pockets Of um, That are around their house And the annuals come back every year Amazingly so And Where I am is like a 6B Zinnias are not Supposed to come back Marigolds are not supposed to come back, and they do. Hmm. Well, good for them. <laughs> um. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you don't have to water them a lot once they're in. Uh, zinnias. If you overwater them, they will get fungus on their leaves. So you don't want to overwater them. Let the air circulate around them. Let them do their things and watch the butterfly show. It's gorgeous
1: yeah and i think anything that self seeds itself is just a bonus um in a garden uh, because you know i mean so so many times um they, things like the cosmos and things like that the cot- what i call the cottage garden plants i mean they, they n- nature seems to do things a lot better than we do i mean i can put put seeds out and you know it struggles a bit but after it's gone through its first year it self seeds and it just does its thing without me at all
0: right. That's a native, to me, that's a natural garden, and that's a naturalistic approach to gardening. Everyone wants that new plant, that new item, but 98% of your garden should be your mainstays, should be something that is xeric, that you know you can count on coming back every year.
1: Yeah, um, and that's what I love about perennials. I mean, to me, they're, they're like friends in the garden. Um, every spring, you know, you go around and you poke at them to see if there are green leaves coming back. Um, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. which is uh, why I love perennials in, in the garden. Um, but what about um, shrubs? I mean, are there some shrubs that once they're established, they can be, are most shrubs fairly suitable to a Xeric landscape?
0: Uh, yeah, uh, spirea is one that comes to mind. Um, your spirea, generally, after that first year, let it go. And it keeps coming back and is more beautiful every year. And and so
1: how would maybe these choices be different for may, maybe Midwest or Southern um, um, growers?
0: Southern... Um, well, okay, let's say I'm in the D.C. area, so in the D.C. area, what you might not want to do is plant something that's for a zone 8, which is pretty much Richmond and below. Those things may not make it up here. So you have to look at your cultivar and you have to look at the zone that it's going to thrive in. In the south, they do not get below zero normally. I say that because they had an interesting winter. Um, they generally are above 20 in the south. When you start coming my way and going further north, you've got to make sure that even though it's drought tolerant, that it can take a fair amount of cold, that it can take a fair amount of naturally wet feet from snow. So you have to think about the south. That's warmer. They definitely warmed up quicker than we have. um, And look at basically your geographical zones
1: that you're in. And, and so you, you would err towards maybe the native plants for that particular area that, they're, that these folks are, are in that maybe once they're established, particularly the shrubs. Is that good, a good indication where, where if they're planting it, people are planting it in the median or on the roadside in front of um, commercial areas, that, that, that would also be um, a xeric type Um, plant
0: that's a good indicator and also um, I'm a big proponent of visiting your public gardens because your public gardens they know the public eye is on them and the dollars are short right now so they're going to be planting things that are going to hold up whether they have enough staff to water them or not so if you visit your public gardens drive around to your different communities and see what's at their entryways, that's a good indicator of what you could possibly get away with planting.
1: Yeah, and and I think particularly with public gardens, um, you know, they they know um, which ones don't. I mean, I love carnations um, and things things like that because they and irises. I mean, irises don't yeah. they don't seem to care. Some of those old fashioned plants because yeah. gr- grand grandmothers and things they have better things to do, I think, than go round fussing over plants. That's
0: right. That's right. you and and down south they call a lot of them the pass along plants. Um, a lot of your past along plants, uh, they don't need a lot of, of attention. And they definitely don't need a lot of water because sometimes in the south, you might be traveling from one town to the next. And back in the day, they didn't have cars, but they might want to take a slip or a cutting to give it to a friend in another town. So that plant had to be able to stand up to drought, neglect, long times, you know, travel times. And a lot of those plants are still around. Irish is being one.
1: Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of pass along plants. You know, that when, when you've got something that works for you, why not give cuttings to somebody else? And I think, I think gardeners are sharing people, um, whether it be a light lilac that's just that little further south, or maybe it's a, a perennial that you were g- given when you first moved into your house or something like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Just be- beautiful ideas. Um, yeah. And, and th- there are always things that work in your area. Um, but but right now, for instance, I'm, I'm on a very sandy soil. Um, are there any that maybe, um, where, where would I go maybe to find something that was low water when you've got a sandy soil ra- rather than a clay soil that uh, holds the water?
0: When, when you're looking at your soil differences and you're trying to figure out what would I do, a good local garden center should be able to guide you or call your extension office. They, Most extension offices will have a list of durable plants for your zone per your soil type. Now, as master gardeners, we know soil testing is important, so test your soil. Once you know what your pH is, once you know um, whether it drains freely or not, then you can start doing your research. An educated consumer is your best consumer because they're going to ask the questions of the garden center. Why don't you have this plant? It would be great for this soil. And that's how you can introduce new plants into your landscape and into your area.
1: Yeah, um, and, you know, and I think that's the fun of, um, you know, gar- gardening in, in different areas. Um, but, you know, we need to take another quick commercial break here. When we come back, we'll talk more about Zarek Landscapes and Designing the Landscapes with Ter- Terry Spike. And when we come back, we dare you tell your neighbor that your lawn has to go. We will be right back.
2: This is Michael Gannot with Insight to Israel. Thank you. God bless patriot conservatives and God bless Israel in her struggle for sovereignty and security.
0: This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat
1: radio designed just for you. You're back listening to the Master Gardener Hour. I am the host of the show, Kate Copsey. And this morning we are talking with Terry Spike about Xeric landscapes. And we talked about some of the plants in the last segment. But during the um, the break, Terry and I were talking about uh, the Mahonia, um, which is also called the Oregon grape. Um, and it's not one of the prettiest shrubs in, in the garden but you're saying it's, it's a good ceric plant, is that right?
0: It's a great xeric plant you're going to have evergreen color in the spring you're going to have these beautiful yellow blossoms and it, they, the blossoms really show up against the evergreen leaves and then you have these wonderful droops of this bluish purple berry and, and it's, 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 it's a great backdrop plant and it's a plant you can count on being there.
1: Yeah, and, and do do the birds eat the, um, the berries as well?
0: The birds do eat the berries, um, and it also creates a nice cover. Um, you, you will find insects. If you look closely at the bloom, you'll find little insects in there. And I think... So it's one of those plants um, that gives back. You know, it's not just sitting there, but it's actually a worker in the garden.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the biggest surprises to me was how early in the year it blooms, and those bright yellow, I mean, it matches any daffodil, but comes out weeks before the daffodils, am I right?
0: Exactly, exactly, exactly. And uh, we have some down on uh, the National Mall, and I remember I had to get off the subway because it it broke down. I had to walk a couple blocks to my office. The only thing blooming
1: was the mahonia. Yeah, and and uh, I mean it redeems itself just by that flower. <laughs> um, and I don't I don't remember ever watering that thing. Um, but uh, say not the prettiest thing for the front garden, but can it. it it just makes up for it, but um, but anyway, um, when you're designing a landscape um, and you're doing gravel versus lawn, have you found or xeric or landscaping versus the traditional lawn? It's one thing to get the homeowner on board with this. It's quite another to get the neighbourhood association and the neighbours um, in on board with this so have you found that that in itself makes people reluctant and they just do it maybe edge out a little bit of lawn this year and a little bit more that year and then sort of over a a couple of years
0: well yes and i think people do it bit by bit one because getting rid of a whole lawn depending on where you are it can be a little, little cost prohibitive but if you do little by little in your own way, you're educating your community on how beautiful things can be without all the lawn. Once others see that, then it becomes an easier sell. And because of this push towards pollinators and being more natural in the garden, I think a lot of homeowner associations are beginning to get with the program, so to speak, because they want to stay above, you know, the cutting edge. So they're embracing it a little more. Maybe not the whole front lawn, but you can have pockets. You can have little gardens. You can have a rain garden. And the plants in a rain garden would withstand drought, and it would withstand flooding.
1: And and rain gardens, um, from what I recall, they actually put the water... Down towards them, I mean in in subdivisions and things, are you allowed to alter the the standard drainage, to make rain gardens and swaths of areas where the water is funneled to to your advantage?
0: The catch with that is it depends on the covenant where you live. Different places will have different covenants. however, You don't necessarily have to dig to create. Sometimes if you go with the natural flow of the land, if you know you have a low spot in the back and it stays damp there, you might want to remove some of that turf and start with a few plants that would naturally grow in a rain garden. Some of your your hollies that would feed the birds and you know, make a nice backdrop to some plants in front of it, like some of your uh, Siberian iris, your Japanese iris. It wouldn't look like you've dug down and put in this garden. It is encompassed in the natural flow of the landscape.
1: And so can these landscapes um, be done on a large scale as well as a small scale. I mean, a homeowner generally works on on a much smaller scale. I mean, our last home had three basic areas or acres of, of, I wouldn't call it lawn. I think grass would be a better idea. (laughs) Um, But it it still needed to be mowed every every sort of two weeks. I mean, could you change that on on a a whole landscape basis um, to something that big? You can create garden
0: rooms. You can have garden rooms throughout your property that don't require mowing at all. You can have um, beautiful ornamental grasses. You could have three, you could have one kind, or you could have a grouping of three, and create beds, create swaths of unique um, textures in foliage. And that would serve the same purpose. And once again, if you choose the right plant, you don't have to worry about watering.
1: And so, so if you replace maybe the, um, the, the I guess, the, the grass that we had uh, with maybe a, one that didn't need mowing, that would have been a great advantage, I guess, for the kids.
0: Um, or uh, a meadow. Why not do a mixed wildflower meadow? That's an added bonus. You don't have to mow it. At the end of the season, it, you know, when the frost comes, it will die down, the seeds will drop, you cut it in the spring, the fresh seeds come up, voila, you have an instant meadow every year with minimal work. And, and so would
1: ornamental um, grasses work, work in these gardens as well? Because those tend to be, they're nice winter features, um, as, as well as being, I guess, drought tolerant as well. Would that be right? The taller right. ones.
0: Um, yeah. the, the taller grasses, are, one of my favorites is Panicum Northwinds because it holds up to wind, and the color, that blue-green blade is just awesome. Uh, the muley grass, which has, if you're up close, it just kind of looks like a medium-height grass, but when you do a swath of it, it presents this beautiful pink wave of color. Um, you have uh, Miscanthus morning light, which was the first ornamental grass I fell in love with. That's another one. In the morning, really, it's beautiful. In the evening, it's beautiful. When it closer to fall, it's beautiful. It's one of those, in my opinion, it's a win win. Yeah,
1: and and I th- I think so, some some uh, some grasses are definitely like that. I mean, they've got that movement, particularly if you don't hack them down for the winter and tight. Tidy the garden. <laughs> right,
0: right. And that is something that uh, right now a lot of the conservationists are speaking to. We don't have to have a tidy garden all the time. So who goes in the woods and cleans it up every season? Yeah. Um, but every year the ferns come up, the toad lilies come up, the may apples come up, and it's okay. The pollinators come up. The birds feed on things in the, on the forest floor. If we get away from this mindset that it's got to be perfect, perfect edging, perfect shape, oh, the grasses should not be up in the winter. We've got to cut them down. Leave something for nature to do its thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, e- even um, perennials, I think. Um, I've got, I had a, an agastache, an anise hyssop that has lo- lovely, um, almost like wheat-type heads, and I left that over the winter. And although the bird, there were no seeds on there for the birds, I noticed the little birds over the winter were actually sitting on it um, over the winter. I mean, it just gave them a little perch, uh, mm-hmm. which, which was kind, kind of nice. Um, and it's, just, it's winter interest that you wouldn't normally um, have even left because you te- people tend to think that you still have to cut perennials down, down and tidy them away before winter, kind of this put the garden to bed type of idea. And,
0: and that mindset is part of the reason why our pollinators are suffering. There are some bees that actually burrow in amongst your grounding perennial leaves over the winter. There are larvae, Early in the spring, if you turn things over, you'll see a whole little city happening under there. But if you clean all that up in the fall, you have taken away someone's home. So we need to start thinking about that. It doesn't have to always be perfect. You can do little by little in the fall while providing fodder for our beneficial insects. It provides them a home and and I, I think you know particularly
1: with um you know so, some of the insects and things um you know they, they are pollinators as, as much as the bees and and we all love hummingbirds um but but uh, you know i th- i think this is the, one of the big pro- problems that we we've, we've missed out on and and so many people do hurry around and t- tidy up and drag up all the leaves that that that, that would give some, something to for insects and, and small animals to burrow under to survive the winter.
0: Right, right. It's a protection of sorts. And if you go back to, even if you go back to down south, if you go back to farm, how farmers, a farmer's wife might have had like a hollyhock and maybe some daisies in the front yard. At the end of the season, you're trying to put away grain for the animals. You're trying to, you know, make sure the field was mowed and everything. You're not thinking about cutting back that hollyhock or that daisy. And beneficials will feed on those things. Yeah. And now we're just in this mindset where it's got to be perfect. We need to step step back, step away, and let nature do its thing.
1: Yeah. And I I think, I mean, that's something I have been encouraging people to do, Um, you know, to leave a few things up um, for winter interest as much as anything else. Um, And I I think we do a disservice um, when we go around saying you should tidy up and maybe drag all the leaves off and all all the perennial leaves and and the the tree leaves from um, from the perennial bed. I mean, I like to do that in spring. Um, when, because then then you can brush it away and you can see the perennials coming back again
0: <laughs> when when you save it till spring it's almost like having christmas in the spring because you move a leaf and you see something about the pot yes you know, i will take my leaves the leaves that fall from the oak tree in front of my house now every once in a while i'll get my blower and i'll chop them up and put them right back in my garden A lot of times I leave them alone. And then the warm days of winter, I might move some around, move some back. But I never totally leave my winter garden naked because I like on those warm winter days to go outside and peek.
1: Yeah, and and I think that that's part of spring. You're right. It's like kind of a second Christmas. Um, but, yeah. you know, we need to take our final commercial break here. But come back, everyone, to listen to more about Terry Spike and some of the other things that she does. And we will be right back.
2: Today's consumers find themselves faced with a greater variety of choices than ever before, both in the food they eat and the information they receive about that food. Feedstuffs Foodlink was created to provide you with a balanced source of information for making decisions about your family's balanced diet. Visit FeedstuffsFoodlink.com to learn about your food directly from the source, the people who work every day to provide it. FeedstuffsFoodlink.com, connecting farm to fork. Watchdog is a term given an organization
1: like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and when necessary Support USJF as they support you.
0: This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. I hope you're
1: enjoying the Master Garden Hour this morning. We have been talking zeric landscapes with Terry Spike. Um and and Terry, um I know you have a great website and blog. It's called um, The Cottage in the Court, is that right?
0: Yes.
1: And so so what type of things do you have on um on on that blog? What type of things do you blog about apart from that lovely image on the top, which is your own garden?
0: (laughs) Well, Cottage in the Court is about finding all things beautiful that surround us. If we pause and take a moment, there is beauty that surrounds us daily that we just don't really take the time to see. And I highlight those things. I love garden travel. So I like to go to Botanic Gardens to see what they're growing and see if I could incorporate it in my landscape or share information about it to others. Um, I do book reviews for Washington Gardener magazine, and I also speak locally on different garden topics, pollination, pollinators, um, and making your garden your own, creating that special place that you can call your own.
1: Oh wow! Um, yeah, and I, I think you know when when uh, when people do presentations out in the the public, um, it, do you, do you do pictures and things like that um, that that show people how to do xeric um, landscaping?
0: Yes, I do pictures. I, I do demonstrations. I even coach people on how to utilize the method of Xeric landscaping to create their own blueprint and their own yard of what they want to see um, because each garden is personal. Your garden is a reflection of who you are. Yeah. So some people just want evergreens, but they don't know what kind of evergreens to put in that maybe don't need be watered all the time. I coach people on finding those things and making it their own.
1: And do do you always put seats in the gardens? Because I I think sitting and enjoying the garden, preferably with blinkers on so you don't see what hasn't been done, um, is is an important part of a garden, enjoying the garden.
0: I think seating is very important, and I also think that putting something in the garden for birds, whether it's a bird feeder, whether it's a bird bath, because a bird bath is not just for the birds, you put a little sand berm in it. That's for the butterflies as well. So, I believe in putting things in the garden that make you want to go outside and engage in your garden.
1: And I, I think bird bird feeders are are great. Um, I've got a couple outside my um, my study window and a couple outside the the kitchen window. But even even if it's the squirrels getting at the bird feeder, I mean the the contortions that a squirrel performs to get at a bird feeder is quite amazing
0: yes (laughs) it makes for great humor in the afternoon doesn't it oh yes (laughs) (laughs) and And when you think about it you know yes no one wants the squirrels to get in the bird feeder but at the end of the day they've got to eat as well bird seed or your bulbs i like to think if i give you bird seed you'll leave my bulbs alone and they generally do
1: (laughs) but even the the little the little sparrows and things there are so many different varieties of them um yeah. that you know i mean it's just fascinating to watch the birds and i, and I think uh, and, and if you see birds even in the middle of winter um on the edge of a pool cover they'll go in there and they'll bathe in there and they just have a riot it's great fun
0: oh yeah i have i uh, i love the um United States Botanic Gardens. And in the wintertime I take pictures there at least every other week because it's just a place of beauty and it's so many different interesting plants there that you can incorporate in your home. That's the beauty of a public garden. But even in the winter time, I was pausing by some hollies, winterberry hollies, and there were birds all through it. And what was bizarre was the birds did not move. It's like they gave me a personal show. <laughs> Yeah, they were just sitting around, sitting on, the, sitting on a berry, poking at the berries. Then they, you know, kind of tag team each other. It was beautiful. And those kinds of things, if you incorporate plants in your garden that have seasonal interest, you get this added bonus of a show. But a lot of people don't know what plants to put in their garden. And that's what I like to share on my website and on my blog.
1: Yeah, and, and so that's on, on the blog as well. Um, so, so when you do talks, are they on the, um, the blog, or if somebody, for instance, wanted you to talk to them, uh, maybe they've got a garden club or a garden group, um, how would they contact you um, and find out what, what talks um, you you do?
0: Well, what they could either email me at terry at cottageinthecourt.com. Um, they could follow me on Twitter at cottageincourt.com. Um, they could go to my Facebook page, Cottage in the Court. (laughs) Um, Or they could, you know, reply to one of the blog posts, and I try to get back to people in a reasonable amount of time. Every once in a while I do post pictures on Instagram, um, but a lot of my pictures I will put out um, just as a daily thought or uh, part of a a post that I'm writing. Um, I'm currently writing one of the busy how the busy woman can still garden. And that's intriguing because trying to find time just to pot up this last picture is amazing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm busy, busy people in the garden. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I sometimes wonder how, how we all put enough hours in the day with, when you've got so many different hats on.
0: <laughs> with me, it's, and I know this is crazy, but, you know, I do not leave my house. In any season, without walking through my garden first. Yes, you know my my walk. now, this time of year, my tree peonies. Two of them bloomed. One of them has not bloomed yet. But I'm just watching the buds swell. Oh yes, you know, they're basis peonies. I'm watching the buds swell every day because that's the show. <laughs> <laughs> that's my spring show.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm waiting for the peonies to come in, Um, they they were new last year, and uh, and so they didn't bloom, and one of the amazing ones is we put a fence in, or relocated a fence from my vegetable garden, and where we, we dug up the trench for the fence and the post, I said, oh my lord, that was where one of those peonies was, and of course, we didn't see it all year, well, what arrives this year? The peony. I mean it's, oh it, it's it was buried <laughs> See,
0: it was the, an April. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> of
1: course and, and of course asparagus grow, grows a mile a minute anyway. That can change between ten o'clock and four o'clock. Um, That's right. <laughs> yes. And and of course, but um the the vegetable garden is one that does need water in a lot. Um but um but so that wouldn't be part of a Zeric landscape, right? No, no,
0: it wouldn't be. But, you know, an herb garden would be. Oh, yes. Yeah. There are some, not not all herbs now, but uh, there are quite a few herbs that really don't like a lot of water. Thyme, it will rot on you with too much water. Um, your lemon balm doesn't care for a lot of water, but it holds up. Um, sage, it'll rot if it's too much water. So these are things, you could do a mixed planting of herbs in a huge pot. And make sure that it drains properly and talk about a, a bodacious planting of herbs yeah. with minimal care. Yeah,
1: um, and I, I love herbs, and actually, you're right, I, I rarely water it. It's, it's mainly because something else needs watering. And, mm-hmm. But, I mean, the French tarragon is coming back beautifully. The chives come back every year, and, and you don't do much for them. And they're, they're, I, I like to think they all started out on the Mediterranean, so, you know, they're on those dry, rugged slopes, which are gravel. Um, so, and anything—give um, them too much water, and you're right—they they kind of—they they just shrivel
0: up. <laughs> right, right. That that is the one thing I I always I like to tell people: if you have a xeric landscape, you can't overlove it. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people overlove their plants because oh, it needs water, it needs water. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it really doesn't. If if you If you understand the beast, educate yourself on what you're planting and know what it is that you want. If you want something that's going to make you go outside every day and water, choose any plant you want. If you want something that you can sit outside after a long day of work and just see the beauty of it all, think about what you're planting. Go xeric and you won't go wrong. Yeah, and you know, and, and I think if you
1: don't have to water, I mean, you don't have, a lot of people are on public water, you know. I mean, you'd get, um, what a high water bill. Um, and, and, you know, and down in the South particularly, they, they say you, you kill more plants by overwatering than underwatering. And I think that's right. true.
0: Mm-hmm. It's very, very true. If we go back to our roots and go back to the way things were, farmers did not have a lot of time to water their gardens. They were worried about the crops in the field. So if we go back to the way we used to garden, go back to the the olden days, our plant material would survive better. Our gardens would be healthier. Instead of putting debris in brown bags, we would compost. Go back to the way things were. And our gardens would just be beautiful.
1: Yeah, and and of course the garden would be multi-layered um, as well and and colourful and uh, which is exactly yeah, what your yours is. I mean, I looked at a couple of pictures on, on yours and it was just charming, and um, with that little path that walks through the middle of it. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, because you should be in your garden. You, should, I mean, you, people admire their gardens from the side, from the lawn. Get in your garden. That way, you know your garden. I know my garden. I have a very intimate relationship with my garden. I know what's going to come up where. And I add new things to new gardens because every once in a while I'll throw a seed or something in one of my older beds. But I like to know that that's the bed I can count on. I do most of my experimenting in my backyard.
1: Yes. Um, any, anyway, we're we're kind of at the end of the show, Terry. Um, th- this has been a great, great show. And I love the philosophy of uh, not watering and xeric Zer- landscaping altogether, I think is just such an important part. So thank you for being here and talking about it.
0: Thank you for having
1: me. Thank you so much. You are welcome. Um, and so, everybody, that's all we've got time for this morning. Uh, thank you for listening to the Master Gardener Hour. We will be back next week with another show talking all about gardening and gardens. Have a good gardening week, everyone, and join me back here next Saturday. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.